I'm so excited you're here. We are on part four of The Vow. We've been in this now four weeks. This will be the fourth week, and this will be the wrap-up of this series. Just a little bit of review where we've been. We've been looking at four vows. They're really aspects of the marriage vow, and this series is designed not just for married people. It's designed for husbands, wives, and singles. That's everybody, all right? Husbands, wives, and singles. And we began with, and I want you to picture this, a two-dimensional box image. So we began with this box image, okay? And so we built the, the vow of priority as the foundation, and that we're gonna look at how priority number one isn't our spouse. Priority number one is God, and when you make God your priority, then you're going to see some improvement in your marriage. Then we added this side box, which is the priority or the vow of pursuit, and you're going to continue to pursue your covenant partner number one, God. Continue to pursue him, and as you pursue him, you're going to get closer to each other, but you're also going to continue to pursue one another. Vow of pursuit. The third side of the box is the vow of partnership. You're going to do life with God, all of life with God. Whatever you do, it's to the glory of God, doing life with God, but also learning how to partner with your marriage partner and have a life with one another and choose fun and family and all kinds of things with each other, learn how to do that with each other, with God. And then we're going to have the lid to the box today. But before I introduce the lid, I want to just talk about this a little bit. If you have a three-sided box, I know it's two-dimensional, so, I mean, you've got to picture two-dimensional. If you have a three-sided box, the top is open. And even though we're building this box around marriage and protecting the marriage relationship, if the top is open and you set this box in our world, all kinds of crud floods into our relationship and problems into the relationship because it's opened up. And so now we're ready to introduce the lid, which closes this all up and wraps it up nice and neat and tidy, the vow of purity. We live in an impure world, and the world is so impure that it's causing havoc to marriages. And so we want to address that and give us some practical tools to figure out how to keep this box which protects the oneness of marriage, which reflects the oneness of God. We're going to keep that in a place of protection and joy. Now, here's the thing. It's really hard to build a beautiful joy-filled, life-filled, love-filled marriage if you don't protect that oneness, okay? So let's put it this way. When a couple decides to get married, they don't, oh, let's get married, and they yeah, let's plan the wedding, and they get married, and they don't start planning to have an adulterous relationship down the road. They would never plan that. When a couple has decided to get married, they're going, oh, let's get married. Happily ever after. Nobody is planning at that point to someday be addicted to porn. When, oh, let's get married. I love each other. We're going to be committed to each other forever. I love you. I love you. Nobody is planning at that stage to have an emotional affair with somebody else. And yet, our marriages are like vehicles, picking up speed and ready to hit a brick wall at 90 miles an hour as they pick up speed, and bam, and nobody plans to drive their car into a brick wall. But marriages are crashing left and right. Why? Because the lid to the box is missing. 
and the foundation is shoddy. You cannot build a healthy, joy-filled, loving marriage on a shoddy foundation personally. And so let me just start by talking to singles. Maybe so far you feel a little left out in this series. You feel like, I really have to work at trying to learn here. But I want to just be real clear. No, everything that we've been saying so far applies to singles as much as it does to married people. Here's the deal. In our culture, nobody thinks that what I'm doing right now will affect me later. In our culture, when you're single, the thinking creeps into your mind that says, I don't have to worry about this right now. When I get married, I will clean up my act. I will do things differently. I'll make it work because I'll find the one and I'm going to change some things and then I'm going to start living this way. Singles, it doesn't work like that. You can't build a healthy, happy, joy-filled, love-filled, life-filled marriage on a shoddy foundation You have to connect the dots. Whatever I'm doing right now is creating a foundation for my future. Now, let me speak to everybody. That's true for everybody, not just singles. If you have built a really solid foundation personally, it's going to affect not just your personal future, but the future of all of those around you. And so... The vow of purity is really, really important. We're going to talk some more about foundations. So let's talk about good foundations, bad foundations, and here you have that in front of you. Good foundations. Build a solid life with God, and he will breathe life into your marriage through you. Single people, are you listening? If you build a solid life with God right now, He will breathe life into a really solid marriage through you. Now, the inverse is also true, bad foundations. If you are living an impure life, even if your spouse has no idea, maybe you don't even know your spouse, they have no idea you're living an impure life now. They will later. It'll affect them. Married people, maybe you're living an impure life right now. They have no idea it's affecting them. Let's keep reading. If you are living an impure life, even if your spouse has no idea, the enemy is breathing toxicity into your marriage through you, whether you realize it or not. Now, I recognized last service that this sermon was one of the quietest audience sermons I've preached in a long time. And it's like right where we live. Why? We live in an impure world. So if we're not protecting ourselves with this box, impurity is flowing into our thought life and into our relationships and it's swirling all around and it's affecting us in ways that we're not even aware how much it's affecting us because it's so normal all around us with this impurity. And I want to just kind of help us to see that it is affecting us. Man, I... I thought I was the best husband in the world when we got married. What a catch, you know? We had the hardest first year and second and third and fourth with my character issues that I just thought, no big deal, I can do this. But 
I needed so much grace to dismantle the habit patterns and dismantle the self-centeredness and dismantle the foundation to rebuild a solid foundation so that life could breathe through me into our marriage. And so this is where we live. We desperately need the grace of God to help us build solid personal lives before him that we can have solid, beautiful, good and beautiful marriages that honor him. We're going to jump into the same verse that we've been in all four weeks. We've added all kinds of verses around this verse, but we started in Genesis, which sets the tone of the design for marriage. We're going to go one verse beyond this time, Genesis 2, 24 through 25. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We talked about how leave, cleave, and weave. If you weren't there, check it out. Um, They become one flesh. Kind of fun. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The design of marriage is good. The design of marriage is beautiful. There was a nakedness with no shame. A nakedness before God. I'm fully known. You know everything about me. I look into your face and I enjoy your face and glory and I reflect that glory right back to you. Naked and unashamed. I look at my covenant partner spouse. I look right into your eyes. There is no secrets between us. We know each other fully. We want to be known even more and fully know and there's no shame, but the design is shattered by impurity. So a few verses later, we read how this is shattered. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now what took place is sin. Impurity entered in. They embraced impurity. They were tempted and went for it, and everything changed from total openness, looking at the glory of God, wanting the glory of God, seeing the light of the glory of God, reflecting that glory to Everything changes here as they become self-focused. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now they need to hide. Now, be prepared for a really bad groaner, okay? What's happening here is not that Adam says, you know, somebody in this family needs to wear the plants. (laughs) All right. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is they're totally needing to cover themselves up because this openness before God is now they're wanting to hide because there's shame. This openness before each other is covered up because now they're not unashamed and naked. They feel exposed as darkness has come in. They don't want to look at light and they are becoming self-aware Self-centered instead of God-centered. Focused here, it's like, oh, shame has entered in, okay? The tempter tempts, oh, this is gonna make you feel all fulfilled and great, and this is so, it'll feel so wonderful, this will complete you. As soon as he finishes tempting, when you go there, now he changes from tempter to accuser. He plays both sides against the middle, and you're the middle. And now he says, oh, look at you. You call yourself a child of God. You are... A disgrace. You can never go look at God. You can't see God. You can't face God. You can't even face each other. Look what you did to each other. Accuser, accuser, accuser. First the tempter, then the accuser. And so there's a result that takes place. We read a little bit later in Genesis that reads like this. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
By the way, when God asks you a question, don't think that he doesn't know the answer. God knows. He's not asking the question to find information. He's asking the question so that you will pay attention and go, uh, yeah, good point by you. Why am I hiding from you? Where are you? Adam answered. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. He's never been afraid of God before. I was afraid because I was naked. He's never been afraid of being naked before. So I hid. This is the human condition. Did you just get into the water? No, mommy, I really didn't. And it's all over their face. Right? Caught in the act, but still, we hide. And we hide because we're ashamed. And we want to hide secrets. The impurities of our lives. Because it's too embarrassing if somebody else knows the secrets of our lives. So, Point number one, if you're writing this down, get ready. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy means we are no longer one and open and wanting to know everything about each other. I don't want you to know everything about each other. I have a secret that I want to keep from you. That is destroying the oneness of your relationship. It's destroying the intimacy that can be there. You're cutting your spouse off from a part of you and want to, and so you're creating this numb barrier between you. Let's describe that numb barrier as a callus over the heart as you maintain a secret and want to keep it hidden from your spouse. Anytime you have a secret life, the only way to kill a secret life is to tell the secret then you'll kill the secret life. If you keep continuing to try to hide the secret, that barrier is going to be there and growing and distance will be felt in your relationship. And it is damaging your oneness. Now, I'm going to put the vow of purity in a phrase. It's point number two. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Now, this is a tough one. If you have a secret life, the last thing you want to do is confide in the one that you're hurting with your secret life. But if you want to kill your secret life, you have to tell the secret. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Now let's just backtrack. Adam is hiding from God. The oneness with God has been cut off and broken by sin. That same pattern is taking place between them, Adam and Eve. That same pattern is taking place between us and God constantly through our struggle with impurity. Anytime we have an impure life and we want to coddle it, hide it, keep it, and let nobody know. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Anybody been to a matinee in the last year? A matinee? Nobody. 
Come on, let's try this. Anybody been to a matinee movie in the last year? All right. Now, if you would have gone to a matinee like Thursday and Friday, this would have been accentuated because I don't know if you noticed, but the whole world was brighter Thursday and Friday. Snow all over the ground. The brightness reflected on the snow. It's like, man, you pull out the sunglasses to drive. It was bright. Now, go to a matinee. You enter the matinee, your sunglasses on. Whoa, got to take the sunglasses off. I can't even see the chairs. Right? Adjust, adjust, adjust. Okay, I can see the chairs. Let's sit over there. You sit down, watch the movie an hour and a half. You're in the darkness this whole time. Something happens. You go back outside. It's like, whoa, squint dust. Like, way too bright. Put on the sunglasses. Still too bright. Why? Your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. Oh, follower of Jesus, we live in a world where we don't even know it, but we have adjusted our eyes to the darkness. It's gotten to the place where we are now responding to the darkness in a way where we don't want to come to the light. We have a reaction inside of us when our eyes, the eyes of our souls adjust to darkness. We don't even want to go to our group night. We don't even want to open the word of God. We don't even want to go to church because we've been living in darkness and that's where we've adjusted to and it feels uncomfortable to go to the light and it will be uncomfortable. Which do you want to adjust to? That's what Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. No, stop adjusting to the darkness. Adjust yourself to the light so that the darkness is uncomfortable. Revolting. Makes you feel uncomfortable when you see it. We've gotten so comfortable with the impurity of our world, it sells in every commercial. It sells every movie. They try to sell it and raise the level of ratings so that people will watch it because they have now adjusted to the darkness. And oh church, oh follower of Jesus, we are not unaffected. Here's a statement. You will never find healing by hiding in the dark. Shame grows best in the dark. Let me make it stronger. Sin grows in the dark. Let me make it stronger. Sin is like a black mold that in the dark sets off toxicity that is poison to your soul and poison to the relationships around you. The more you keep your impurity and your secret life a secret, the more that poison is affecting your soul and heart and everyone around you, especially your spouse. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Before becoming the lead pastor at this church, I was a youth pastor for nearly eight years. And I had to define sexual immorality to young people because even 30 years ago, they were redefining what sexual immorality was. And our culture redefines sexual immorality. Here's how our culture thinks of sexual immorality. Anything is okay as long as I don't hurt somebody else. And I'm not hurting somebody else as long as it's not 
adultery. There's the line over there. I haven't committed adultery. I'm not in an external relationship while I'm in this relationship, so I'm good. Let me redefine sexual immorality according to the language this is translated from, because this is real generic terminology. What is sexual immorality? It's, this is a translation, this particular translation, of a Greek word. If I use the King James translation, we still go, huh? King James translated fornication. <laughs> huh? All right. Here's the Greek word that this translates. Porneia. Porneia. It translates sexual immorality because anything that is outside of the covenant relationship in marriage that is sexual in nature is out of bounds. It's porn. It's sexual immorality. Sex was designed by God for the person to leave, father and mother, to join together with spouse and cleave together and protect in purity that relationship to create family. Anything outside of that covenant relationship is porneia, sexual immorality. Now, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. This is really a big deal. It's like God is saying, why would you drink a little bit of poison? Oh, because if I keep drinking a little bit, it makes me immune. No, it doesn't. It builds up toxicity and is destroying you and destroying your relationship. The more you partake, the worse it gets, not the better. You're just adjusting to it and don't know what's happening. And this is addressing the believer. Among you, believer, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Christians still think of adultery as over there, and what I'm doing right now in my private life isn't that, because I haven't crossed that line. Jesus says, yes, you have. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. Here's Jesus weighing in on the matter. You have heard that it was said, this is Matthew 5, 27 through 30, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Seems a little drastic, don't you think? You know, I go to a men's group every Wednesday and I still haven't come and arrived and seen cyclopses with one arm coming to men's group. It's like... So what is Jesus saying here? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He's saying this poison you're participating in and thinking you're just a two and it's no big deal is a big deal. And if your right, eye, right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Do whatever it takes to free your soul from hell because you're attaching your life 
to impurity. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, if I tried to take this literally and I chopped out my eye and I cut off my arm, I'd probably use my other eye and my other arm. So getting at it from the outside of my body is probably inadequate. But I need to be drastic enough to get at it. And that's Jesus' point. I'm so drastic that, first of all, I did it. And then I asked every staff member to do it. We put on every digital device we have a program called Covenant Eyes. And I let them choose who their accountability will be so that their accountability person, I recommend for guys that it not be your wife for this, this particular task, find a close male to be your accountability partner that gets the info on a weekly basis as to where these digital devices called up screens. As soon as we did that, all temptation gone. You kill any secret by exposing the secret. You don't want to expose the secret. And you have a brother that's going to hold you accountable and say, let me pray for you. You need to get a hold of this. That would be one way. But maybe for you, that's not even the issue. Maybe for you, the impurity is less than just where you go on digital devices. Maybe it is going to require a complete media fast to readjust to light. Because you've so adjusted to the media you're putting into your soul that you don't even see it as impure. Here's a quote that I've cobbled together. It's my own words. When you stream garbage into your soul, garbage eventually comes out of your life. Although there may be a buffering delay, so I'm treating you as if you're streaming a movie, Although there may be a buffering delay, whatever you continuously stream into your soul becomes your life movie. But before you trashed, your trashed movie comes out, your software is infected and reprogrammed to the acquired taste for impurity. While wanting more and more garbage, you will be satisfied less and less. And if something drastic is not done, you will continue in a downward spiral of escalating addiction towards self-destruction. Did you notice how quiet it is in here? I mean, it, this is so dark, but it's so pervasive in our culture that we just need to call it out and kill the secret and figure out how to do that. Because it's destroying us personally and it's destroying our marriages and it's causing us to live lives that are not beautiful. And we know it. What will it take? The next quote on the screen. Some people let feelings be their guide. Others let something more solid be their guide. Feelings make terrible foundations. Build a foundation of character for your feelings, not the other way around. It doesn't work that way. Build a foundation of character for your feelings. Consistently good feelings are built on good and solid character. Okay? People are not doing well in their jobs because they're basing it, their decisions on a daily basis on their feelings. I don't really feel like going today. I'm feeling ill. I think I'll call in sick. I'd rather do this. I feel really... Like, 
I want to pursue this. Those are feeling-based, foundational living. It's like, that doesn't work. You need a character-based foundation that will usurp dangerous feelings that is capturing your heart and soul. Don't trust your dangerous desires. Those feelings are dangerous to you. You have an enemy, and you've brought into yourself toxicity that is affecting your heart. So build character. Guess what? I can't build a foundational character by myself. I can't try to build a foundation by trying harder. Self-help books just won't do it because self is the problem. I need God. The life of God filling me up, the grace of God forgiving me, the grace of God purifying me, this little box, the washing of the word of God, cleaning out the gunk so that I even want what's pure. God has to enter in. I gotta keep coming to God so that he builds the character. So, point number three, let's get practical. How do I stay pure? How do I stay pure? Psalm 119, 9 through 11 reads this way. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Single people, listen. You want a great marriage? This is the answer. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's not a killjoy trying to take away all the fun. He's a protector trying to give you a good and beautiful life. Trust him. Take truth into you. Make that your goal to please God and you're gonna create a foundation of living that others lack. Romans 12, 2, Paul now in the New Testament, building off of that says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's slow this down. Our world is a press of conformity, squeezing you into its mold so that everybody doing the things that everybody does looks like everybody else squeezed into the mold of impurity because we're taking it all in. And there's an answer It's a tough one. Instead of letting the world squeeze you into its mold, bust out of that mold. Through the transforming power, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will never approve of God's will if you continue to be squeezed by the world's mold. If you want to approve of God's will, approve of a good life, you have to be transformed by the renew of your mind by placing the truth of God before you and drinking and eating from it to where it gets down into you and purifies you and changes your desires to where you want what is good. And the darkness, when you expose to it, instead of going, you go, ugh, I don't want anything to do with that because this is better. Here's my words again, and sorry about these long quotes, but I want to make sure to get this through. When we wade deeply into the joy of life, made available through Jesus' victory, and he washes us with the water of God's word, the poison of impurity begins to lose its gravitational grip on us. Why? Because a much greater power, the orbital pull of God himself becomes our central attraction. God is the only fixation that actually fixes. 
making us whole. Our souls are unique in that they have been designed to fixate. And the only fixation they're really designed for is a fixation on God himself. And if you go for any other fixation, you will orbit around something. It could be bad, impure, it could be good. But if you orbit around some other fixation, it's taking you out of orbit from God himself as our central fixation that fixes us. And we get off track and out of whack. And we begin to want what is not good more and more and desire God less and less. God is the only fixation that will fix and settle you into a place of life and joy and peace and wholeness. Fix your soul on God and orbit your life around him. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is hard. Confess their sins. That's really comfortable. It's it's about as comfortable as, can you come closer so I can throw up on you? (laughs) Confession. This is the answer. If you want to get rid of your secret life, tell the secret. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Listen, I'm not pointing my finger here. Every one of us live in an impure world. Every one of us have fallen to impurity. Period. Jesus is just calling us out. The only answer is God and confession and his washing us pure and changing us from the inside. That is the answer. And some of us think, we've done that, it doesn't work. Well, the Bible doesn't stop there. If you've done that, it doesn't work. You have one missing piece, and James gets into it. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Maybe you were forgiven, but you haven't killed the secret, and you're still pretending with God. You're trying to deal with God, and you're keeping it secret from everybody else. Kill the secret, and then you'll be healed. As soon as you kill the secret and confide in somebody else, and man, I would urge you to start with a brother, to get that out there, and get yourself free, and then confess to your wife, and get yourself free. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. Now, I'm not asking you to go to a confessional and to a priest. Go to a brother one another, somebody who you know understands grace and has forgiven himself and understands how this works. Jesus Christ is a cleanser. He is the washer. He's the savior. I forgive you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to call you. Now, how are you doing this week? And then you're set free. Here's the prayer I'd like to finish with, and I'm way over time. My dear Lord Jesus, you loved me, pursued me, served me sacrificially, and offered yourself to me in a forever covenant. Thank you. I vow to make you my priority number one, to pursue you, to partner with you in every aspect of love and life, to love my covenant partner as you have loved me. I commit to confide in you, confess to you, and offer myself to you 
to wash my heart and desires. Please help me build a life of purity as a solid foundation for a good and beautiful life that honors you. Amen. Would you stand with me? This is a tough prayer. If it's hard, oh well. If it's the direction you want to go, we're crying out to God to help us go in this direction. Let's say it together. If you'd like to say that together and see if God is going to help you here, say it loudly. Here we go. My dear Lord Jesus, you loved me, pursued me, served me sacrificially, and offered yourself to me in a forever covenant. Thank you. I vow to make you my priority number one, to pursue you, to partner with you in every aspect of love and life, to love my covenant partner as you have loved me. I commit to confide in you, confess to you, and offer myself to you to wash my heart and desires. Please help me build a life of purity as a solid foundation for a good and beautiful life that honors you. Amen. Single people, you prayed that you would uh, um, commit to and confess to and live for your covenant partner. You may never have a spouse. That's okay. You can still have a covenant partner in the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him and have a good and beautiful life. But if you want a good and beautiful wife or a good and beautiful husband, you need to live for your covenant partner, Jesus Christ, number one, and then he will do the building. So, Having said all that, um, here's the tricky part. After a message like that, nobody wants to go up for prayer. So uh, the prayer team is open to any prayer request. So if you, you know, you're looking for a job or you've got anything going on, go pray. And so you're going to go with the crowd that needs prayer. And whatever you need prayer for, just get prayer.